You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 429. My name's Dave. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at Apple TV Plus's new sci-fi series, Foundation, based on the classic Isaac Asimov novel. And dude, uh, I think now that we're two episodes in, I've done a little bit of reading on the internet, no major spoilers, you know, they're not following the book at all. No. (laughs) I mean... Not major even themes a little bit maybe and yeah. and, and that's kind of uh, i think the gist of what i've read from the showrunner and, and other people associated with the show is that they're going to deal with the major thematic ideas but in their own way and you know what that's fine yeah that's that's great yeah you know, I mean, I, I, go ahead no i was just i was talking to mike about this the other day cuz you know like last week after watching the first episode, I was like, you know, I was like, man, I really want to reread the novel. It's been so long since I read it. I, I didn't really remember really any of it. Um, so I got it a couple days later. And as I'm reading the novel, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is absolutely not. Like, there's no even danger of me sitting here comparing the book to the novel because they're just so completely separate and different that uh, it's not even really worth talking except for as you said when we talk about those you know those big themes that they share yeah and certainly they'll handle them differently but but even certain characters and his or her longevity i mean we just don't know and and you know what that's fine i mean looking back at brave new world now that followed the novel relatively closely certainly by comparison but uh you know it is what it is and and you know the other thing i realized over the weekend i had in my mind that foundation was only six episodes it looks like it's 10 so that's oh really yeah so nice so um and we are that just means we can put off for four more weeks what we have to do next then well there you go (laughs) (laughs) exactly um anyway if you guys want to contact us with episode feedback questions comments whatever sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can do that you can also join the facebook group and get into the discussions there so um before we get into the discussion of foundation you know we got a few other things we'll, we'll deal with but we are recording this Episode three has already dropped, so we're just going to talk about episode two. I have not seen episode three yet. I don't think you have either, right? No, I have not. Okay. So uh, we're we're like one episode behind. So, you know, whatever. All right, let's get to the uh, what we're watching segment of our podcast. And I was thrilled to see that season three of Sex Education on Netflix dropped. Do you watch that show? I have not. No. Oh, dude, it is so good. I mean, if you're looking for something to watch with your wife, it's you know I I'm so used to saying it's probably not suitable for your for your young kids, and I'm like, oh wait a minute, she's like what a junior in high school now or so. <laughs> well, the the youngest is is in eighth grade, but the the next youngest is a junior now. So right. yeah, and, and I think we're, we're by and large we're beyond the suitable for <laughs> okay. But uh, stars Jillian Anderson, Asa Butterfield, Emma Mackey, who is somebody that I think is just going to be a major star. And, of course, we know Asa Butterfield from Ender's Game. I'm not sure what else he's been in, but it is just a phenomenal show. And and you and I always talk about podcasts, or uh, we always talk about episodes that feature high school life and we enjoy picking it apart here things are so over the top that you almost have to address it but then in the next breath you're like yeah but they intend it to be over the top that's how they're making their point throughout this series to the point and I, i i'm sorry this isn't that big a spoiler to the point that the new strict headmaster uh calls three kids up to the stage who have you know broken school rules she sits them down on a chair and she puts she makes them wear signs of shame as, as the, for their individual transgressions i'm like okay 
It'd be nice, nice if we could get away with that, but uh, no. Yeah, but well, and we know, uh, you know, a guy we work with did try to do that, and he caught a lot of crap for it. Yeah, good point. Remember, so, like, uh, this uh, kids had cheated on, a, on an essay, so yeah. Made him wear, like, scarlet letters or something. Yeah, but... Uh, His parents got so mad. Why are you trying to teach my kid a lesson on integrity? Yeah, good point. Damn it. But uh, it, Sex Education, it's really, really a good show. I mean, it... it, it I just can't speak highly enough about it. So, all right, what do you got? Okay, well, I have uh, finally caught up on Doom Patrol and am now completely caught up, at least until uh, Thursday night. But, um, you know, Michelle, actually, I knew that Michelle Gomez was in it, but, you know, it's like, it's always great uh, to see her. She's she's a fantastic actress, and especially, like, she always does, I, you know, I, I I bet she would be great in like more serious stuff, but she always kind of plays very quirky offbeat parts and she's just like the master of that. So it's uh, great to I see, see what her you though. There, dude. Really? Ah, the, oh yeah. I totally did that on purpose. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, so really cool. Again, missing season one. I mean, season one is definitely uh, better than the others, but still great, good show. And, uh, I'm enjoying it. So I also started watching now that I have uh, Apple TV, which honestly, Apple TV is kind of pissing me off, Dave. Okay. I don't know if right now is the time to say it or later. It freezes and buffers so much. It just, I am, I, I am close to, I know I got to keep it for when we're doing foundation, but I might cancel it as soon as it's done. If this keeps up, because it's just, very frustrating and i don't know why it happens with apple and it doesn't happen with hbo or amazon prime or netflix or voodoo or any other app that i have on that on that tv but amazon uh, uh, apple tv just stops and starts and uh, just so anyway but since i have it i've been watching getting into a ted lasso Oh, which I okay. think I mentioned a little bit before. Yeah, I, I um, don't know anything about it other than that it's very popular and highly thought of. Yeah, so Jason uh, Sudeikis, you know, who's a hilarious guy, was in uh, the uh, uh, it was was it the Vacation movie? No. Yeah, and How I Met Your Mother, right? Wasn't he in that? No. No, 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 no. no I'm sorry. Uh, anyway. I I don't think he was. It, it wasn't the the vacation, but it was like vacation. It was the meet the Andersons or something like that. I, I, three other a, a woman and two kids to pretend they're his family so he can smuggle drugs or something. Oh, uh, <laughs> um, it was a really funny movie. He, he's I know he, he's been in tons of other things. He was actually one of the uh, stormtroopers in uh, the last episode of season one of the Mandalorian. Um, if you remember, the two stormtroopers just kind of hanging out on guard detail, and they're like kind of shooting at rocks in front of them, stuff like that. So anyway, he's been in tons of stuff. He's, he's hilarious. So he plays a coach of a co- American college football team who is suddenly given a job coaching uh, a team in the premiership of of uh, the British football soccer. Okay. And, so he is obviously, as far as knowing the sport, he is categorically not qualified for this job. But as we see very early on, he is just a master. Not, he's not like a master manipulator. He's just, he's, he, he knows how to get the best out of people. Um, and there's this one episode where a, a reporter is questioning. And of course, the reporter is waiting to hang him, right? Just like, you know, just to show how stupid he is and how out of his league he is. And, um, you know, and he, he tells the reporter, I don't care about wins or losses. The reporter's like, well, you've just given me my first soundbite. Thank you very much. And then uh, later they're eating dairy. It's like, you know, I meant it when I say I don't care about wins and losses. All I care about is getting these people to be the very best people they can be. And that's totally true. And so, like, I'm only like three episodes in, but – you know, it's just, it's really kind of cool so far. He's just an unflappably nice character, you know, that uh, just really doesn't even care. He knows he's over his head a little bit. He knows it's a challenge. He knows everyone expects him to fail and he just doesn't care, you know. So 
It's really good so far. Cool. Right. And of course, I'm reading Foundation, which, as, as I've said before, which I'm really psyched about. Uh, uh, about halfway through it so far, and um, just really glad to be rereading this book. Uh, it's cool. such a good book. All right. Well, let's get to Foundation, episode two of season one, Preparing to Live, written by Josh Friedman and David S. Goyer, directed by Andrew Bernstein, aired September 24th, 2021, along with episode one. So this one really breaks down into two stories, which is more of a traditional way that a TV show handles its episode. We've got the trip to Terminus, which we'll talk about first, and then the aftermath of the attack on Trantor. But, you know, as I'm looking at my notes, on the one hand, it's all about the relationships among Harry, Raish, and Gale. And, of course, we get that huge bombshell at the end of this episode, yeah, and, to say the least. Yeah, and then the relationships among Dawn, Day, and Dusk. And, you know, one of the things I started thinking about in terms of the rest of the world, the rest of the universe, who's more dangerous, Harry or Brother Day? And, you know, I mean, obviously we, we want to like Harry and, and there's nothing that, that Harry has done or said that would make us dislike him, but still because of who he is and what he does, he does present a danger to the average citizen, certainly of Trantor and apparently beyond as well. I'm trying to unpack what you just, cause like, you know, in and of itself, I think I, I guess you're right. He's not, I mean, we look at him, he's, he's not dangerous. He's trying to save civilization, Right. Right, sure. Um, but his theories, I mean, obviously, as we saw last episode, um, his ideas are dangerous enough that he's being forced to go into exile. Yeah. So that being said, you know, it, his danger is a, a danger of ideas, I guess, which certainly can be dangerous enough. And, and Oftentimes we want ideas to be dangerous. You know, there's oftentimes in history we've needed dangerous ideas in order to end injustice. Brother Day, on the other hand, his danger is a very more real uh, physical uh, danger. You know, when he gets pissed, uh, people get hanged, worlds get bombed. Right. And, you know, on the one hand, we look at, him you know, ruling with the proverbial iron fist you know, is that what has kept the empire stable for 12,000 years I, I mean he certainly can't rule like this consistently or can he because we get that great little scene with uh, brother dawn talking to uh, demersel as she repairs herself and, and of course he's still just really regrouping from what he'd seen. And he says, you know, do, do we do this all the time? And she's like, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you do. Yep. So, you know, I guess on the other hand that, that he has been ruling like this, does it provide a stability for the average person? And I, I guess at this point, we don't have enough insight into what, the world of the average Trantor citizen is like. So it's easy to look askance at what he's done here for obvious reasons. He he says, you know, uh, somebody's going to hang. Hopefully it's the guilty person. Yeah. And when he says, as we know, he's, it doesn't matter. He doesn't really care. Right. Somebody's going to hang. Somebody's going to be made an example of somebody will be blamed. And unfortunately, that's the way a lot of governments work, even traditional democracies. While they maybe don't hang the guilty like that, they, they, they certainly do metaphorically. And, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, to, to think otherwise is, is probably a little bit naive. So, you know, but, but it's certainly the, the go to for a tyrant. Right. Yes. Like tyrants default to that. Someone's going to hang. 
I hope it's the the guilty one. Like unconcerned whether the people he hangs are guilty or not, just as long as you said that someone's made an example of. And you can see well, you remember when last episode, the first thing that Harry suggested as ways to slow down the decline of the empire is to stop the genetic inheritance of the empire. Sure. Or the emperor. And you know, so you know, in Harry's opinion, which we have to you know put some weight in, this practice of the same emperor cloning himself is hastening the downfall. And we can see why. Because of his heavy handed reaction, we get a feeling that that's not going to calm down the situation in the outer regions. It's going to make it worse. It's going to, the empire is going to be less popular. It's going to sow more discontent. Um, you know, again, take, take American foreign policy in Afghanistan over the last 20 years as an example. Yeah. And, you know, speaking about hangings, um, you know, when they're crying out to hang you, sometimes you have a change of heart and it's like, uh, you know what? You guys weren't so bad after all, but that's another news item for another day. Did you ever see the Nat Geo series Mars? No. Oh, dude, you'd really like it. It's kind okay. of a combination of nonfiction with fiction, and that basically it's about a manned mission to Mars to put people on Mars to live there. And it goes back and forth between what we're actually doing now. And then this fictional mission that takes place in like 2033. Okay. And the reason I bring that up is, your, do you remember that visual in this episode of the ship that's on its way to Terminus? It's this really imposing, huge ship. And what strikes me is that it seems to be made of all these little smaller components and while it's probably not important at this point, I just wonder when they get to Terminus, will this ship disassemble itself and all of these different components actually become, you know, their living quarters and their working quarters once I mean, they, almost certainly, right? Yeah. So I thought that was really well done, really a, a really cool-looking ship. So, and, and that's one of the things you learn about the reality is the First thing they do is they, they send these unmanned missions to Mars and they drop off all the equipment. They drop off the, right. the, the buildings or whatever. Um, uh, but anyway, so, you know, Harry's plan is basically this voyage to Terminus and, and the preparations it's going to take to live. And I, I really like the way they navigate back and forth in this episode sometimes. And we've talked about it. It, it just seems like the director it, it has too frenetic a pace jumping back and forth between storylines here you know they give each story a little chance to breathe and and you know we we get to know the characters before we move back to the other story but big shocker dude gail and Raish have started a relationship (laughs) yeah i mean obviously we saw that one coming from a mile away (laughs) yeah um the first thing she said she looks at when she sees a little hologram in her hand and she says cute wow okay they're, yeah. they're as good as in bed, right? Yeah, yeah. And we see her in the pool on several occasions. And, you know, the first time, you know, there's certainly, you know, that, that sensuality of, of water and, you know, the, the exchange the two of them have the first time. And, and, of course, I'm thinking like, man, that's a pretty damn nice pool. How come she's the only one in it at this point? You'd think there'd be, you know, a boatload of people. But well. Probably because there's so much semen floating around in it. Oh, dude, stop. <laughs> but we, uh, but later, though, we get that scene when she's in the pool and Harry comes in. And again, maybe it's nothing, but he remarks about how long she's underwater. So does that mean anything? Probably not. No, I, I think I, so. But but I did notice when she comes up to the surface, she doesn't seem out of breath at all. I mean, I, I, you know, who among us hasn't uh, seen how long we can hold our breath underwater? And then when we finally do surface, we're like gasping and right. we see none of that out of her. So whatever. Um, well, I, I think that's, that's just the foreshadowing of when she goes into the 
the pot at the end. Okay. And, you know, that liquid fills it up, that, you know, liquid oxygen or whatever that fills up the pod. So, you know, kind of technically, she's going to be underwater for a really long time. Yeah. And and we learned that they're still 54 months away from Terminus. And, you know, of course, she's trying to learn every job there is just because that's her mentality. And, and of course, they're keeping their relationship a secret, at least from Harry. I mean, we, we see them where they're holding hands in the hallway and then all of a sudden it's like maybe they see somebody that they don't want to know. But uh, yeah, there's no way that that's a secret. I well, mean, who are, who are you kidding, right? Well, first of all, you would think that Harry has figured that into the math. <laughs> that right, true, so, so that he already is well aware of that. But that was a pretty cool scene when it turns out to be a sim. But we assume that they've already reached the planet and they're doing some sort of a mining operation or whatever. And then we get that cool looking monster, which I guess may or may not actually inhabit Terminus, but uh, turns out to be a sim. And Harry, I mean, you know, the takeaway of that scene is that he's bothered that one of his charges calls him by his first name rather than Dr. Selden. And, and it's like, wow, how quickly they forget. That still bothers me that, that that's his response to that. Right. I mean, you, you know, it's not like a teacher and, and, you know, not so much now, but the cool teacher call me by my first name. Uh, yeah, I don't think so. But, you know, he's not a teacher. This is not a child. So I don't I don't get it. It's almost like asking us to call our principal you know, by, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Right. Instead of Nick or or Kathy or whatever. And, and right. that's absurd. And anybody we we've worked with, I don't think they'd want us to do that, that we know who's in charge so yeah exactly and and it's not unlike uh brother day honestly because whereas harry kind of wants that that barrier between him and other people right sure um and and we want it too after we see him at at when he sits down at lunch with everyone else and he tells that awkward story that, that ends even more awkwardly but you know brother day is the same way in fact the 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 empires all have this tech around their their necks that actually has a force field around them, right? So people literally can't get close to them. But your brother Day, more than anyone else, you know, refuses. Like brother Dusk goes out and he wants to see what's going on with the people. Right? Day doesn't care. You know, he doesn't care to go out there. So it's it's not unlike you know I kind of see it as being kind of comparative to to Harry where. You know, they both want to just run things, but they don't necessarily, you know, they don't want to necessarily see the people beneath them. Yeah. And, and there's a good discussion in the Facebook group uh, uh, about last week's episode and that whole idea of whether the Cleons actually learn from their experiences or not. And, and you, you wonder, because exactly as you said, Brother Dusk at this point seems to care about the people whereas brother day does not and you wonder well when he was brother day was he the exact same way as brother day was and is this something that he's learned in his many years of experience and i would argue yeah of course yeah so yeah. um so you know we will see but you know you you brought up the idea of the foreshadowing in terms of the you know gale in the pool and then of course going into the pod but Harry asks Gail to attend the budget meeting. He's preoccupied with something else. He tells her, is this foreshadowing? Does he know his fate? Does he know that Gail is going to have to take over for him? Even though that's not exactly what happens at the end of the episode, because as you said, he uh, Raish puts her in the pod and sends her off to, 
who the who knows where. Yeah, I mean, I I, I feel strongly that all of this stuff that happened was engineered by Harry. Okay, and that his death and Gail's escape were all meant to be. Like this is what Harry wanted to happen. Um, and the reason I say it is because Rache is fine up until that budget meeting, and he's he receives a message. He leaves from Harry. He leaves to go see Harry. And then the rest of the episode, he's got this this black cloud hanging over him. Right. So, you know, I'm pretty sure that at that, when Harry called him, he's like, listen, here's what you got to do. You're going to have to stab me. Now, why that is, I can't even begin to guess. But I'm pretty sure that, you know, race killing Harry was what Harry instructed him to do. Right. And again, I don't want to go all biblical on the discussion, but you know, it, it, again, it's not unlike Christ knowing what's going to happen to him and, and his role as mankind's savior. So, I mean, certainly throughout literature, we talk about various characters being Christ figures. You know, is this something along those lines? I don't know, maybe too early to, to go down that road, but but as you said, it, it does seem as if Harry likely anticipated this is what's going to happen. But then my question is, well, is Terminus out of play now? Uh, because it, it was really difficult to tell at the end when uh, he, you know, Raish sends her pod out from the ship. It did appear there were other ships uh, you know little pods that were you know shot out from the main ship as well i mean it was really difficult to tell i tried to look a couple of times but i, I can't imagine he just shot her out there by herself and and where yeah, is she, like, where is she gonna end hell, up right yeah exactly you know like why'd you do that you know like i don't i can't imagine he's trying to cover up again because I, i'm pretty sure that harry had him stab, had race stab him. So I don't think he's trying to like hide his crime by getting rid of the one witness. So what's, what's the deal? Why, why, why does Gail get booted off the ship? Where is she going to go? How come, you know, don't they need her on Terminus? It seems like they need her on Terminus. Why is the plan that? No. Yeah. I mean, it's almost as if race is working for somebody else. And, we we learn, and this is something that's that's covered in the novels as well. He went to live with Harry at, I believe, age seven. He he says so. Whether Harry officially adopted him or not, it does appear as if Harry raised him. But clearly, there is a significant amount of tension now between these two men that we really don't have a, a sense of, of you know the underlying causes of it. So. You know, is he trying to deliberately sabotage this mission? Because why? I mean, the mission is to preserve mankind's knowledge so that we can rebuild more easily. So Raish's motivations here are completely, you know, I guess incomprehensible at this point. Well, so the, I, the only way to my mind it makes sense is if this is all part of the plan. Because it doesn't at all make sense that he would just... I mean, we, we see him getting frustrated with Harry. Um, you know, Gail tells him that Harry has not thought through all the math. That, you know, his math is kind of like a thousand-piece puzzle with one or two pieces missing. So, you know, they do set us up with things that Raish could potentially have as grievances that might lead him to kill Harry. But, but then again, like, no, like that doesn't, it just doesn't make any sense unless this was all planned out. Yeah. And how it's going to pan out, who who knows? I mean, you'd think wherever they're going to end up, wherever this colony is going to end up, and maybe it's going to be more than one colony, but it, certainly appears as if the mothership has what they need to survive so we'll see how that plays out but you know when we were getting ready to start recording you you mentioned you were looking up what a zygote is and Mm -hmm. 
it does appear as if Gail's implying she's pregnant. But I, I don't think she's got a bun. I think her bun is sitting in the fridge. Okay. It's not in the oven. Okay. So, because when she's in there, at first, it's, it just seems like it's a, a regular kind of, um, re, you know, medical examination. Right. Uh, you know, they do say something. I don't know. I didn't catch it. Well, Mari but, asks her if there's been any change in your birth directive. Right. Now, that would then maybe go along with what you're kind of getting at, I think, is that she had one of her eggs fertilized and is now being stored for... Stored in like a seed bank, I think. Right. I think they so, might even say that. Okay. As opposed to her friend, I think her name is Mari, maybe, that it seems as if she got pregnant the old-fashioned way. Yeah. And is willing to go through with the pregnancy, even though she understands that it's you know no better than 50-50 that she and the child will survive because of the radiation among among other hazards so uh, y- y- again is this something harry knew would happen y- you'd like to think so i mean certainly they've factored in you know the idea that only a certain percentage of the people are going to survive after i forget how many years they say um anyway so right yeah, I don't well, know. Well, you know, clearly he, I mean, he don't, you don't have to be any kind of Nostradamus to predict that if you put a bunch of people on a spaceship for a length of time, there's going to be some sexual activity going on. There. Oh, and of course. Clearly, I mean, we see it with Raish and Gale, and then this woman is, is also knocked up, and it's, you know, to someone she doesn't even really necessarily care for that much. So... You know, not, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that there is definitely plenty of free love happening. And so, yeah, he should have made preparations for there being lots of sex going on and, you know, probably in there some pregnancies. Although, like Brave New World, I think most of these futuristic societies effective birth control is a huge part of their daily experience so you'd you'd like to think all, almost that they they've prefigured that in to prevent pregnancy you know, the old fashioned way it, it certainly at least until they get to terminus but a, again apparently not you know that that meeting we talked about that that Gail attends in Harry's stead and she starts questioning how decisions are made about which pieces of civilization to preserve once they reach terminus. And it's an interesting concept. And granted, you might argue, well, the computers they're dealing with, their information systems, they probably should be complex enough that they can handle it all. But I I guess what she's getting at is a matter of priorities. And she uses that whole idea of base 10 versus base 12 and base 27. I'm like, okay, base 10 I got, base 12 even, sort of. But you lost me when we get to 27. Yeah. But, but you well, know. Well, but, you know it's, it's, she's got a good point, though. It's yes. like, well, if we're, we're not preserving everything because we're choosing what we preserve. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, deciding what's remembered, what is forgotten, how will we know what those things are if we can't even agree on how to count them? Right. So it, it's certainly, I, I think, one of those thematic ideas that, that we're probably not done with in Foundation, and, and I, I like the way they present it here. Um, I also really liked Harry's speech to the workers down in the laundry because it, it really drives home that idea that everybody is critical to a society's success. And I think we've even talked about this in, in brave new world that, that even the garbage collectors, you know, the, what were they, what were the low ones? Epsilons, the, the gammas. Yeah. Well, the, the ones that, that I think they're whatever, but, but the ones the, that, that epsilons, right. Yeah. That dealt with the mundane tasks. If they yeah. weren't there to do that, you know the alphas and betas wouldn't be able to do what they do and and that every 
every individual is critical to the success. And, and these people were, I think, feeling a little bit unappreciated. And his speech comes at the exact right time and, and just really moving to me. Can I shake your hand? And I almost wish the camera, it didn't show their hands. I mean, we, we, you know, his arm was extended. We know Harry shook his hand, but we didn't see it. And then he right. kind of moved around the room and, and, and shook the hands of, of many of the others. But I, I really did like that scene a lot. I think it's, it's critical to understanding how a, a mission of this magnitude is going to succeed or fail. Right. And I got like this kind of, because, you know, again, watching it the second time, I'm like knowing what happened. So I'm, I'm looking for clues because I already kind of worked out. That I think this is, you know, that scene has such an air of finality about it. And even Harry is kind of, like again, almost saying goodbye, yeah, as well as, as shaking hands. I also thought it was funny that the the lady who prompted the speech, she just asked him if he was happy, and he goes on this whole speech. I can just imagine the lady like awkwardly standing next to him, thinking, "I just freaking asked him if he was happy or not. I didn't ask for the whole speech." Yeah. Well, that's true, and you know, I guess at first I thought, "Is she asking is he happy with the way the mission?" is transpiring but i i think we're, we're meant to go a bit deeper and and actually consider what what, what you're saying is he happy or you know whatever and and it's like it's like the equivalent to a certain extent of asking brother day are you happy and you know set against you know the kind of leader that that the cleons have become versus Harry. It's it then takes us to the to the final scene where Raish has brutally stabbed Harry to death, and we we still don't have a reason. I why? And of course, Gail comes in horrified, and and he just you know pushes her towards the uh, the pod room and gets her in and uh, you know start we see the pod going through this dense asteroid belt as the episode ends and I I, I just don't know I, I mean well I and then the curious action of throwing the knife in the pod too we, we had we got uh, some feedback you know, yes. questioning whether that was to preserve Harry's DNA and my answer was maybe yeah let's hold off we'll we'll talk about that when we do the feedback okay because that's i I think that's a brilliant idea that that could be brought up so uh yeah let's let's hold off on that one for for just a bit so anything else about you know the 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 trip to terminus before we head into uh the discussion about trantor well the the you know when raish kills harry he grabs something from behind his ear Oh yeah, and that's curious as well because I mean the camera definitely goes in tight to give us that piece of information. So I don't know what the deal is. So you know, at the end, even though I th- I think that that Harry arranged for this and wanted this to happen, um, especially we we see earlier when he's talking to uh, Gail and tells her I never expected to be on this ship, you know. So while I think he engineered this, I don't know why. Uh, I can't answer that one. So I'm I'm looking forward to maybe hopefully finding out uh, why this happened. Right. And I will just say, I'm not going to go into any detail, but in the novel, there is a huge plot element that we may or may not be done with. I'll just leave it at that before I, right. I don't want to go too far since uh, right because I'm I'm just at that point I'm pretty sure like I was trying I can't really remember what happened but um, I'm like I'm like right before that point with uh, um, right there are those time Harden right like right the time benchmarks so, when something yeah, happens yeah. right 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 so. so. Um, so I haven't got that yet, so please don't spoil it because I can't remember from right. when I read. But but even though reading it, I'm like, ah, I think I know what happens here. I can't, I'm not 100% sure, but I think I know. But yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's probably that element is being um, maybe taking its its uh, um, its cue from the novel. Yeah. Now, we've also got the aftermath of the attack on Trantor. And, and obviously, 
Brother Day has to get to the bottom of who's behind you know, this terrorist attack. So we understand completely. So in that, that first scene that takes place on this dwarf planet, it was hard to figure out what the letters actually were. I don't think it matters. And they've got that illicit biohacking facility that, that has apparently constructed you know these subcutaneous explosive devices that that the bombers were using but what we quickly learn and i love the fact that they they sped this aspect up is that despite questioning hundreds thousands tens of thousands they're getting nothing so they don't really have any information as to the origin of the the attack and and while the attackers want it to seem as if you know it it's uh anacreon and thespis responsible for it that doesn't necessarily seem to be the case so uh you know i i love that mystery you know it is underlying this in, entire scene but you know that that phrase martyring dissidents is a risky enterprise and, and that's Demersel telling day and, and talk about i don't want to say this was a bombshell because i don't think any of us were really surprised when we saw it and when i think it's when she's accompanying dusk right down to the right. you know the planet and, and something hits her and you see her it's like doesn't seem to bother her much she rubs her hand and and she looks at it and there's like some kind of oily substance and i think most of us are thinking like oh she's an ai right yeah yeah, yeah, totally you know and and then we get back you know later in in the episode and the scene when she's repairing herself and it's like okay if you didn't pick it up the first time (laughs) yeah let's let's uh let's slap you over the head with it right for for those of you that were uh you know munching on nachos or whatever and you missed that that detail um but she's certainly intuitive. And then we get that, that, that idea because she says it to brother uh, Dawn that implies that she's raised them all. Has she raised all of the Cleons? Maybe not starting with Cleon the first, but how long has she been around? She's been around for a long time, yeah, it but, seems. So all the rest of her type are are gone yeah but but why see that's the other thing i think she it's not like gone i think she says they were destroyed they were destroyed yes so then our question is well why you know is this um you know the the rise of the machine you know idea that 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 the machines were destroyed so that they didn't rise up against you know their their human uh creators and yeah, if that's the case, possible. right. I mean, if that's the case, then why her? Why has she been allowed to survive? Is it simply because she's part of the royal family? I, I mean, I guess, but it, but it's certainly intriguing. I mean, we don't get an answer here, but it's certainly right. well, something. I mean, that bit of information, though, is just like, you know, her, she is keenly aware, obviously, of not only that, all other, you know, I don't know what to say, creatures, things, all of her people, I guess, um, that they, they were destroyed, and they were destroyed for the humans. That's She uses the preposition for. So, you know, you know, in, in my mind, I'm almost half thinking, well, okay, does, does that mean that she's like, you know, maybe deep down she's, not psyched about that you know that um, but i mean obviously the the emperors are treat her with complete trust so i you know i guess i should as well but it just seems like that little factoid that they dropped in would should there later be some kind of betrayal on her part probably are would not be a hundred percent surprised well, you know, and and I, I agree with you, and and I also though you, that scene where she's repairing herself, and Brother Dawn is watching her, and, and he sees as we do her bare back and shoulders, and you know there, there is a certain amount of sensuality to it, and given his yes. age, 
you know, that it's natural that any young boy would, would be mesmerized by that that image. And she might need to deliver extra tissues to the royal bedroom that yeah. night. <laughs> and, you know, she says, you know, I'm not the same as you. He he brings up the the you know the question of why she's modest, and she says that that's an important aspect because the more human I act, the more human I am. And again, science fiction television fans have had any of a number of shows that have dealt with that 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 what makes a person a person, whether mm-hmm. it's it's the series Humans or I don't know what the one I can't remember it's a well, uh, uh, was it uh, better than us? Better than us. Uh, so, Battlestar Galactica right, kind of right. touched on that theme a bit, I believe. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I certainly hope this is a theme that that the show is going to explore. It, it just at this point, she seems to be the only one of her kind. So, you know, perhaps we'll get some clarification as to you know what happened there. But again, just to touch on that that scene, because we've still got and you kind of touched on it briefly a few minutes ago, Day is trying to get to the bottom of what the hell happened here. And it's reached a point at which he has to do something regardless of what the information tells him. And as he says, somebody's going to hang for this. I'd like it to be the guilty one. And, and of course, as we know, he, 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 I mean, yeah, I believe him. He would like to hang the guilty one, but it doesn't matter. Exactly. He doesn't care. And, and he's just as fine uh, hanging people who I'm sure he suspects, like most of them, probably all of them, aren't guilty. I mean, as the uh, the delegate said before, it doesn't make it. I think the, the, the guy from Anacreon said, why would we do this? It doesn't make any sense that we would do this. And he's right. It doesn't make any sense. You know, like, is it overkill though? What he does with, with the massive airstrikes on both planets? Well, I mean, we know, you know, I mean, we've seen it ourselves, right? Like what happened after nine 11, right? Bomb the the crap, invade Iraq. Iraq had nothing to do with 9-11, but let's invade Iraq. We need to be seen to be doing something. People want revenge. People need, you know, to feel like the government is looking out for them. So we're going to give them the show. Yeah. We're going to publicly and brutally, in a very Game of Thrones manner, hang a bunch of ambassadors. And then we're going to bomb the crap out of their home world. And, you know, there, you can see... Are, are they? Did they do it? Are they guilty? Well, probably not, right? I mean, you could any, even the most you know ham-fisted detective can see a stitch-up happening here. But you know, again, the, he needs you know Brother Day needs to show the people that the Empire is doing something, that they are safe, that the Empire's got their back and will protect them. Yeah. So that's what he does. And he tells the two ambassadors, go back to your worlds with a message. And to paraphrase, don't fuck with the empire. Yeah, that's that's the lesson he delivers, right. basically. Right. E- even though, as you just said, it, it, it's probably not them. But the other fascinating thing that, that comes out of this episode is when Demersal accompanies Dusk you know, down into the rubble and, and that meeting that dusk has with the seer and dusk is concerned that gale is a true seer even though uh the priest says nah she's not your empire's doomed i don't think we really believe him and and that i think what we're supposed to take away from this episode and all these different details is that there's something about gale way beyond just the fact that she's a mathematic genius so what it is we don't know you know i i I just think that's gotta mean something can't just be a throwaway line so right you know we right exactly why would they make this big deal of him going down there if you know if, if there weren't something meaningful revealed there right right um, and, and part of it is because, I mean, Dusk is 
he's losing it, right? Like well, he's he, having an existential moment. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Yeah, and he's you know he's very short tempered so far. He's broken two glasses in this series. He's thrown a ladder and spilled a lot of paint. So he's you know really he's not making great choices with how he deals with his frustration. But uh, but yet he's kind of becoming. I I wouldn't like to say a moral center because it's not quite it, but at least more morally centered than than Day. Yeah, and I guess what strikes me about his smashing up of the materials at, at the mural, it's almost is he frustrated because he knows he's getting older and the end is near. Because, yeah, I thought he was going to fall and die, actually. Well, I did too, but I also get the sense that there's a a finite timeline that the Cleons follow. Right. And, and that when you get to be Brother Dusk, you don't just live out this natural life, that there's a, there's a finite point at which you die. And maybe he understands that that time is very close and this is just frustration so he's he's having this existential crisis about different things as you said being the moral center of the cleons such as it is uh, i mean dawn is is still learning i mean he's a very vague understanding of morality and ethics at this point although i i think he's maybe a little bit sharper than i'm giving him credit for so yeah i guess we'll well, see. i'm gonna jump in but i, I was i'm gonna save my comments for when uh we get to talking about fred's feedback here because i have some i have some thoughts in that as far as that okay. matter goes okay um i mean that's all i've got on on the uh situation at trant or anything else you want to bring up no I, I don't think so except for like i said i think uh that brother day is just completely following the path that he's supposed to do like that harry knew he would do that his clamping down and his caprice is what is causing accelerating the fall of the empire right and the heavy hand that he rules with is what is causing the empire to to break apart all right well let's get to the feedback and then uh yeah i know we've got some good things to say related to that so First, we heard from Rainbird, who we've heard from before via email. I think that the bloody knife that Raish put in the escape pod with Gale is going to be used to clone Harry. We know the technology exists. Maybe this is part of Harry's long-term plan. And it's not something I thought of at the time. And as soon as I read Rainbird's message, I'm like, yeah, exactly. And why wouldn't they? So is that part of Raish's plan, which uh, convoluted doesn't quite cut it, but yeah, well, it's, it's like, you know, brother dusk going to see the priest and, you know, Raish grabbing the thing from behind Harry's ear. These are all details that the, the camera makes sure that we catch. So they're clearly important. So, why did he put the throw the knife in there? I, like I said, I, it goes beyond trying to get rid of the evidence. And that, I mean, that sounds like a, a great theory that, you know, he does it to, you know, wherever Gail goes, she will be able to recreate Harry. Right. Now, I, I guess the other question is certainly there are neater and cleaner ways that Raish could have accomplished the same thing. And then, again, I'm not very well versed in the whole idea of cloning, although I, I have watched Orphan Black yeah, on so you're more than one occasion. Yeah, I'm you, you know, you know right. all but, about I mean, it. So, so if they're going to clone Harry, he's going to be a baby. So then it's going to take how many years yeah. before he becomes the Harry Seldon that we need or I do we need him? I, I you know at, at this point uh, I assume we do, but but regardless, fascinating, fascinating idea. Yep. So. All right, well let's hear what Fred's got for us this week, and we will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Foundation Season One, 
Episode 2. There was a nice discussion on Facebook involving genetics. The discussion was how good it is that, or bad, that there are three generations of emperors in the sense of are they really the same? And the discussion went to nature-nurture, of course, because in their lives they will experience different things. But I think having somebody around that's genetically the same and has other lifetime experiences, but nevertheless is educating you, raising you, makes the nature effect even less. So indeed, there are clones. And of course, clones can have different life experiences. If you look to Orphan Black, for instance, a series I never talk about, you see the big, big difference between the different clones Tatjana Maslany plays. But here, I think the effect would be less, because the young, so Dawn, is raised by day and dusk. Interesting concept. Okay, going into episode 2. First off, I was nicely surprised that we are still seeing the young Gale, because I was wondering last episode whether only the first episode would show her in her childhood days or young female days. But uh, she was still around. When we watch this episode, they are on their way to Terminus, which will take quite a while. And we see that everybody is preparing on a life on a horrible, rough, unfriendly planet. I really wonder why they had to go to Terminus so far away and why they couldn't go to any other planet somewhere more nearby and could steer just this ship to that other planet. Or are the people that are steering the ship are the Emperor's people? I don't have the impression that's true, because they all look like a kind of settlers. Of course, it's a ship with a kind of life support for a long journey, with an arboretum and even a swimming pool. I don't actually understand why they were not allowed to do the hyperjump. Is that a punishment or something like that? Perhaps it is just because they cannot go anywhere. If there are no people of the emperors on that ship and they are all settlers, they don't want to give them, of course, a hyperjump ship where they could go anywhere in the galaxy. So that could then also be the explanation why they didn't get such a ship and also that there are no emperor's people on the ship. Nevertheless, on your way to Terminus, you could encounter on your way another nice planet and just decide to settle there. Big question, is Harry Seldon really dead? It looks like it, so that would be quite bad. But of course, this puts a higher pressure on Gale, perhaps even to lead the mission without Harry. But if she would lead the mission, she has to come back because uh, Wrench uh, sent her off in a pod. Very interesting is when Demersol, of Demersol, I don't know how you pronounce it, is a kind of android and she repairs herself. Strange thing is she's the only one left of her species. Is, is this a species? Uh, are they built or whatever? Well, at least she can repair herself. Which was done by very nice special effects, by the way. The relationship with Ranch and the pregnancy went a little bit too fast for me. So for the, already for the second episode. On the other hand, if this is the preparation to shift to an adult situation, I can understand they do it this quickly. So then the next episode we would see Gail as an adult with a child. Big question, who is that child? Is that the guardian on Terminus? The woman we saw in the first scene of the first episode with these children. Could that be Gail's daughter? Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, till the next time. Fred from the Netherlands. Right, I mean, the whole nature-nurture idea related to the Cleons, I, I am convinced that is something that's going to get explored further. And, uh, you know, I, again, I'm 
of the the thinking that experience has to matter here that that these cleons can't possibly act the same way generation after generation but, but if they're all raised exactly the same well, way because they've go. got they've got Demerzel there who uh, has been there for how long exactly. to raise them each a la boys of, from Brazil right like right. you know like if you add the if you add the nature and the nurture you put them together then you get Adolf Hitler all over again right right um so in boys of Brazil not not everyday life you know right right um, so, so I, I, I would tend to suspect that that's what's going on. That especially when she says you always act like this, that you know that it's either the the nature wins flat out, or they make sure that each Cleon, each brother, is raised exactly like the others, so that when he becomes the ruler, he behaves in the exact same manner as he always has. Right, and we see from the start in episode one how all three of them defer to her in a certain way. So right. I, I think what you just said about her her being the the common factor here makes perfect sense, and and of course is then the the great flaw to this methodology, or maybe it's not a flaw because it's right. survived for twelve thousand years. Um, Fred brings up the idea uh, about you know the ship that doesn't have the ability to hyper jump and whether or not that's a punishment and that's the first thing I thought of but then of course Fred brings up the idea that it also in, uh, prevents them from going somewhere other than terminus so I think that's a possibility. On the other hand, I wonder whether their their ship's coordinates are have been locked in, and maybe no amount of tinkering can can shift that. But I assume well, that'll be something that I mean, the ship is still there. Raish is still on the ship. So what is happening on there in the aftermath of of this uh, murder of? Of Harry, I, I guess we'll see in episode three. So, right. Well, and you know, Fred asks like, why? You know, why? Do, why do they not stop at some other world? Why do they go all the way to terminus? And to that, I would say, we witness firsthand what happens when you cross the emperor. Right. Right. So you know, to to think that they could just make camp on a different world. I don't think the emperor would let that one slide. I'm definitely sure he would know about it. So, you know, I don't think they even need to have coordinates locked in. I just, I, they, their punishment is to go to terminus, and unless they want some serious retribution brought down on them, uh, they better make sure they go to terminus. Right, and there are a lot of smart people in charge here, and um, yeah, I'm sure they would agree with you as I do. Is Harry really dead? I think we'll. <laughs> Wait and see. It's tough to bounce back from that one. I mean, you know, I've seen worse. And if, if anyone is, has seen Titans, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I've seen seen more ridiculous uh, resurrections. But, uh, you know, everything's possible. I would tend to say no. Yeah. I mean, I tend to say he's, you know, dead. As, right. You know, he had a massive knife plunged straight into his heart. Right. Will Gale now lead the mission? I mean, conventional how? wisdom would say yes, but then exactly <laughs> how? She, he just set her off. This, where is she going? Like, you know, it, it seems like she's been cut from the team. Yeah. So uh, anything else about Fred's feedback? Uh, well, we talked about the, the seed bank and the zygote. Well, just one thing, like, you know, um, you know, I also feel like the inability to, to hyper jump because again, I'm sure Day knows they're going to go where I tell them to go. Because if they don't, I'm going to f them up big time, right? Yeah. So he could have given them hyper jump, right? On the other hand, though, as his, we know how capricious. You know, this is where I keep using capricious. You know how how petty he is, and so you know, to me, it would definitely not be beyond him to make them go without hyper jump just because he could just to make them their lives a little bit shittier you know american politicians come to mind no, no names nah, um just yeah. 
All right. Um, Fred, Rainbird, thank you for the feedback. And um, I guess we've arrived at our grading period. And, dude, it's hard for me to not give this one an A. Um, it's not for me. Yeah. Okay. Um, I would give it the A minus. I think that's what I gave the the last one. Um, yeah. I, I I had thought it out earlier why I was giving it the A minus. I don't know. I, I I reserve the right to retroactively come back and change the grade if what happens in this episode turns out to be to make a little bit more sense later on down the road. But I think part of it right now is just race just completely flipping the switch and going and, and, and you know from you know where he was before to now being distant, moody, and then finally killing Harry. Um, like I said, I think it's all going to turn out to be part of the plan, but right now we can't really see it. So, Okay. Fair enough. All right. Uh, I'm really liking this show so far. I, I mean, yeah. I, I had hopes. I mean, I think we both enjoyed Brave New World, and, and this is, um, you know, just, I mean, not following the novel, and I think we're both both fine with that. And yeah. as podcasters, I think in a certain respect that's even better yeah well and and i'm glad that it's it's actually brought me back to the novel you know which i hadn't read in so so long and now i'm reading and just really enjoying it and loving it uh which i was not doing with the book i was reading before that i'm not going to mention it but uh i was was bogged down the book i was thinking about teaching and uh i wasn't enjoying it and it was difficult to read difficult to get through and then finally i just like this just gave me the excuse to just say, hang it all. I'm not going to teach that book. I'm not doing that book. I'm going to go read Foundation instead. So. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, let's leave it there. That will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Foundation, any of the other shows we've covered, anything going on in your Sci-Fi TV world. Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. Sci-Fi TV Rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. We'll be back next week to talk about episode three of the Apple TV Plus series Foundation. But until then. You know, this episode just kind of brought back some bad memories of the fourth grade spelling bee, you know. And I was just doing so well. I was just like clicking along. And then came the word curiosity. And I just couldn't get it. Yeah, just the judge just stared at me saying, there's no sin in curiosity. Curiosity.